1: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spacciano, joined as always by the original Long Island iced B, Benny Scalab. Benny, how you doing, buddy?
2: Dan, it seems like every week we have a sad announcement to make, and this time it's the Iron Sheik. He left the world in this past week. The man, in my opinion, the man who was literally the bridge between old school wrestling and the rock and wrestling connection, which changed the world of re- professional wrestling forever. Definitely a larger than life figure, and he was the only reason I ever paid attention to Twitter. So rest in peace, cheeky baby.
1: Absolutely, his his Twitter profile was phenomenal stuff. Uh, my personal my personal favorite was still uh, his long running feud with Hulk Hogan, where he said um, randomly he said that Hulk Hogan was worse than the feeling when Chick fil A doesn't give him enough dipping sauce because <laughs> anybody anybody that loves their chicken nuggets knows there's nothing worse that, than getting that, home that and finding out all. there's no dipping sauce in the wow. bag. Wow, <laughs> but um. You know we we take the we take the bad with the good and tonight's going to be a good show, Benny. We uh we always go old school and we can't get can't get more more uh, textbook old school than who we got on the line with us, Benny. Watch everybody who's joining us tonight.
2: Yes sir. Now this gentleman graced wrestling rings all over the country in the 70s and the 80s. Heck, even into the 90s. He was one half of the California hippies, and only in professional wrestling can you be a California hippie when you grew up in Michigan. Uh, Irish Mickey Doyle, Mr. Doyle, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring.
0: Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I think we're going to have a good time tonight. Always, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, we get go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm just—it's great to be here. We're, like I said, we're—we're we're we're glad have, to we're have, gonna have you. Have fun. Yes, yeah, sir. So thank was... you.
1: So I was just about to say we appreciate it all the time, um, but we'll, we'll get right to it. We, we always ask everyone this, and it's such a great question because the answers are always different and we've gotten some really good ones. So it's kind of a kind of a two part. But um, uh, when did the wrestling bug bite you as a fan and when did you go from fan to this is what I want to do?
0: Okay, that's a really good question. Uh, as the she, as Sheiky would say, excellent question, Don Maloney. Excellent question. So um, that was funny, right? That promo he did. Oh my God. Oh yeah. He, he was he was so funny. Excellent question. But anyway, I would say I was probably eight years old, and they used to have wrestling. I, I grew up in Detroit on our TV from Chicago, and I can't remember the name of it, but they would have people like Angelo Pafo and Bronco Lubitsch and Gorgeous George and Leaping Larry Shane. And I was just uh, intrigued by this. Saturday mornings. I'd just watch TV. The guys be out playing, but I'd be watching wrestling. And then in the afternoon they had wrestling from Boston, which I believe was like maybe Vince McMahon Sr., maybe promoted. I'm not really sure, but they would have – what really got me was one Saturday was Killer Kowalski was in a ring, and he would not let go of the claw hold on this young kid. And I thought to myself, he's really killing this guy. All of a sudden, Haystack Calhoun came in, and he picked him up and slammed him and gave him the big splash. And that, I thought, my God, this is just the coolest the coolest stuff I've ever seen. So I would watch this. And then up into the uh, – well, finally my dad took me to a wrestling at the Jim Barnett-Johnny uh, Doyle promotion out of Detroit – Dick the Bruiser was the the main heel, and he was just fun to watch. He was just a wild man. And Leaping Larry Shane, who was a local Detroit guy, but pretty famous. And he took me to the match at Olympia, where the Red Wings hockey team used to play with Gordie Howe and so forth. And it was like 1959. It was live in person. And I would just, it was like psychedelic. or It was like surreal. It was so cool. And from then on, probably, you know, I got out of high school. I went into service, and I did that gimmick, you know, with the military. When I got out of there, I knew what I wanted to do. So I got a job at a gym. They used to call them the Vic Tanny gym, but they became Bally's If you've ever heard of that, that line. Mm -hmm. And when I, and I was, I became a trainer and I worked out really hard to build. I said, I, I know I want to be a wrestler. I knew I wanted to be a wrestler. So I built myself up to about 195 pounds. and I looked pretty good. And there was two guys that did, uh, odd jobs in there as carpenters, but they were wrestlers. They'd wrestle at night. They were one guy's name was Ray Elmore, and the other was John Medencia, and they wrestled as the Skull Brothers for the Sheik, and they actually had the belts. And you know, they, you know, kind of took me under their wing, and they uh, said, "Well, go to." There's a guy named Louis Klein, the Man of a Thousand Holds, who him and Red Bastine were. They went as the Bastine Brothers in the '50s, and, and for the W, the four Ws and an F back in the day. And uh, Louis was had the school and the. I walked in there one day. Finally, I got my nerve up and walked in there and had got confident. And he, he says, you should go to college. And I said, uh, college? I said, I just got a service. And he goes, oh, well, it's 300 bucks." So I got the 300 bucks and I gave it to him, and I, I trained hard for six months. And Louie trained me for a little bit, but his daughter, Linda, was a professional wrestler. She worked with me. And another fellow, I'm sure you heard of Sonny King, Big Cat Sonny King. He was from oh, yeah. Windsor, right Absolutely. over the right over the water from Detroit and Windsor, Ontario. He'd come in there. But the guy that trained me was a guy named Bobby Blaine, and he was Louis's first uh, trainee. And Bobby was the one that trained me. He's the he's the guy that got on the mat with me every night, and that's who I owe my credit to. But it was Louis Klein's school. But then, yeah, after six months, Louis comes to me and says, "Okay, where well, you going to be working the TV show Sunday morning out and for?" Uh, the UHF, the Sheik had the UHF channels 50 and channel 20 here. And uh, my first match was with Freddie Blassie. And that was like, you know, I was so nervous. <laughs> I remember I was so nervous. Uh, and before the match, Freddie goes, Don't worry, kid. You know, everything will be fine. We get in the match, we lock up. He goes, Grab a headlock. So I said, Oh, sure. So I grabbed a headlock. And some guy yells out from the crowd, goes, open your eyes. Because I had my eyes closed. I was scared to make eye contact with the fans. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. You know, that was my first match. And, you know, Freddie beat me, obviously, quickly. But he gave me a few things, which was cool. And then it just progressed from there. I started doing, right off the bat, I started doing drop kicks and aerial stuff and the chic liked that. And I, I, you know, at the time I was working in a mental hospital as a as a, as a what do you call it? Uh, custodian, an orderly? Or what a An orderly, right? Which was, you know, kind of a it was a crazy job, but it, you know, a couple times a week they give me some gigs doing TV for for the Tunnies in Hamilton or for Cleveland for Pedro Martinez in Cleveland. So I, you know, I'd work maybe six times a month, getting squashed, and then finally the sheet goes, you know, you're looking good, blah blah blah. You want to go on the road? So after about, I would say August. I don't know, about six months, five and a half months. He goes, you want to go on the road, you know, every night. And I said, sure, of course. So I did, and that's kind of how it started. But I think, because when I went in the business, I looked like a wrestler. I didn't look like some guys that go into business back in the day. Didn't really look like wrestlers, you know. They, they really didn't, truthfully. But I did, and that helped. And I could do aerial stuff, so it it worked. That's kind of how I got started. And I worked in Detroit for probably a little over a year. Then they sent me to Tampa, which was a real different thing you know that was a really different thing there was some legitimate amateur wrestlers down there and some guys that could go and i really learned a lot down there actually that was like a detroit was like a lot of punch and kick you know that sort of uh brawling detroit was pretty much brawling but uh tampa you wrestled you you had a wrestle and so forth so that was a real good schooling for me down there and i was ra- i'm rambling here guys aren't i i'm, st- I'm rambling about oh, that's all right one- no you're good <laughs> Okay. But, uh, so yeah, my, Tampa was, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. Um, real quick. So first of all, I guess a comment, you know, working at a mental hospital to, to transition to be a professional wrestler really isn't that much of a leap. I guess when you think about it, it's, no, it's, no, it's, no, it it's a natural it, it, transition, no,
0: it, but it um, wasn't really at all because the people in there, they all had storylines. You could probably was, get
2: some character, uh, get some good angles well, from some well, of the uh, patients. I ha-
0: there was, the thing about this place, they were giving out people shots of Thorazine back then and crazy stuff like that. You know, stuff that wasn't good. And there was a little boy in there that was like eight years old and he had like multiple personalities. There was a, a little boy, eight, and there was a man up to like in his 70s that were in there. It was just a, uh, so many different people with so many different, There was kids that, you know, and that that, Day and age in the uh, late '60s, early '70s, all well, 1970, actually when I worked there, there was kids that would do acid, and you know there was one kid he took the acid trip he never came back, and he was just he would just look at you. He was probably 18, and he just look at you. And I try to converse with him, and he just he couldn't talk. It was like it's sad. It was different everybody had a storyline in there. There was a, a a man I got in a fight with there one time. He was a POW in one of Hitler's. Nazi camps, he was a Jewish man, he was a big dude, and he he tried to escape one night, he went crazy, and goddamn, that was a real fight. You know, I was fighting for my life, and then finally one of the other attendants helped me, and we kind of subdued the guy, but I get it, you know, you'd be (laughs) at one of Hitler's concentration camps, that'd make you, I don't know, you know, I don't know what that would do to you, but it wouldn't be a good thing, but um, I'm just saying, yeah, there were so many storylines in that place, it was... uh, it was kind of like pro wrestling it really was it was a different story every night there yeah interesting and that's where i met my wife <laughs> she was a patient so there you go wow unbelievable eh? yeah
2: <laughs> that is so <laughs> crazy mike our friend javier oist did a really really good story about you for the pro wrestling stories website which both dan and i have written stories for and um really enjoyed reading about your your initial training that you started talking about and my understanding is, although you had a really good trainer, your your facilities uh, left a little left a little bit to be desired. Oh. So I, I heard, I thought I read something about you. They used garden hoses for ropes. Is yeah. that true?
0: Yeah, Louis. Louis had a thing. It was just a flat piece of wood on the floor, elevated a little bit, and um, it had a garden. Let me think, let me picture this. It had a garden hose on one side, and right behind the garden hose, maybe 12 inches, was a big, giant pop machine. And then around, like, the left side, there was another garden hose attached to a post, and that was it. And, you know, if you got, when you hit the rope, you would hit the pop machine. Usually, you always had to kind of lift your right elbow up so you wouldn't hit the pop machine. And I remember taking backdrops, and it was just like taking a backdrop on the floor. But you know, I didn't know any different. I wasn't in a real wrestling ring until my first match with Freddie Blassie. That was the first time I was in a real wrestling ring. It was like when I, as soon as I got in that ring, was like, "Oh my God, (laughs) this is this is unbelievable!" You know, a real wrestling ring, and the ropes didn't tear you up, tear your you know under your like your right lat would be all. Tore up when you first initially hit that garden hose in Louie's gym. Yeah, it was comical, but, you know, it was, uh, that's how I started. So I guess that was a good thing. You know, I wasn't spoiled. That's for sure. It was, a, uh, yeah, it was a doozy as opposed to now, I guess wrestling schools are pretty cool for the most part.
1: For the most part. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let, let me, let me ask you to kind of expand on something you had mentioned, obviously your first match against Freddie Blassie. Um, being just one of the many pencil neck geeks that he turned around and beat up on, what was it like working with him? I mean, I've heard, we've heard so many different stories about backstage and his demeanor. And you said he gave you some offense, which is, you know, just a gentlemanly thing to do for, for uh, uh, when you're going over a a guy in literally his first match, like, like you kind of expand on what it was like working with him.
0: Well, I'll give I'll tell you, my thoughts on Freddie Blassie. So we had this first match and he gave me the headlock and maybe that's all he gave me. But then let's fast forward about um, a year. I was still in the territory and they sent me and a guy named killer Brooks and a couple other guys up to Philadelphia to work some WWF tapes. And uh, I think my set. we did three, three tapes one night Then we went to, I think we went to Hamburg the next night and did three tapes. But my second match tonight was against Freddie Blassie, right? So I'm in the ring, and the ref comes up to me and he goes, "Hey kid, uh, Freddie remembers you from Detroit." And he says he's, you know, he he can't give you nothing because he's working with Pedro for the belt in the Garden in two weeks. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool that he even remembered me, you know. And he sent the message to the ref to give me that message. And I was like, that was cool. So I I've had nothing but good things to say about him. And there, I was in the dressing room with him. And I remember one time he was talking to some of the guys when we were on that, you know, doing those tapes, and he was telling one of the guys, he said he wished he would have been a shooter back in the day because everybody was a shooter. And I guess he boxed possibly. I I heard him saying maybe he was a boxer, but he said he wished he would have been more good of a, you know, better wrestler so he could have maybe handled some situations differently. That's something I never did forget. He was telling some of the old-timers and, I can't remember some of the guys, some of the New York guys, Vern Sackloon, and maybe those guys he was talking to. But um, that's what I remember about him. I thought he was, you know, classy, Freddie Blassey. I thought he was a good guy. He was, you know, he was good to me. I did two squashes for him, but he was cool about it, you know, in that regard. Yeah.
2: So, so, so Mike, you said you started with the Sheik in Detroit. Yep. Um, yep. What the 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 Sheik, the original Sheik wrestling in the ring versus Ed Farhat, the, you know, the owner and the promoter, yeah. how are they alike and how are they different?
0: Um, give me a second. Let me just think. Let me just tell you a Sheik story. Can we just do that? The oh, yeah. Story, I got a good Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, oh, I had been in the business now four months full time and we had a show in Kitchener, Ontario, it was in the middle of the winter and it was a bad day. And coming home, it was a really that night. And we were driving in the car. It was all, It was a guy named Mike Lauren, who was the Sheik's bodyguard. He used to wrestle with Porky the Pig. Great name, eh? But Porky oh, was... Oh, jeez. On the way home, we had the Sheik and Tex McKenzie and myself. And like I said, Mike driving. And it was like a whiteout. And Porky's going about 25 miles an hour. We were on the what the 401, they call it. It goes all the way to Canada. And it goes all the way up through Toronto and everything. And we're just tooling along, and the chic goes, "I can't take this. Let me drive." And he gets behind the wheel, <laughs> and I swear to God, he was doing 65, right? So Tex McKenzie had had an accident years prior that some—I believe maybe one of the two of his children died, and maybe his wife. It was terrible. And he's going Sheik, You know what happened to me? You better slow down. And Porky was in the back saying, Sheik, you got to slow down." And I was sitting behind the Sheik while he's driving, and I'm thinking to myself, "This is the chic." Nothing's going to happen. I don't really give a damn. And we made it back in record time. And I just, that was my thought. This is the Sheik. He's invincible. Maybe I was a mark to the fact, eh? But um, we made it back. And that day prior to going there, he took me, he took us all to the place called the Tunnel Barbecue in Windsor, and he bought us all rib dinner, and, you know, prior to going to the trip. And it was cool. I liked the Sheik. He was, always, he was always good to me. And I probably worked with him five or six times. And actually later down the road, in like the '90s, when I had a real a, a real job and he was just doing shows, we did a main event in one of the towns in Detroit, or in Detroit at one of the little arenas, and uh, it was a great match, of bloodbath. But um, I like working with the guy. It was just wild, you know. He was he wasn't stiff in the ring, but he was real firm, you know, just real firm, nothing uh, lackadaisical. But he wouldn't, uh, you know, he wouldn't potato you or nothing. He was he was a chic, yeah. I, I like the guy. You know, he didn't pay off good, but uh, that, none of them did, you know, for the most part. A few did, but not too many. But um, that was where I got my break, and he helped me get my break. So, you know, so I was always indebted to the guy, I guess you could say. But I liked the guy. Yeah, I liked him. He was, he was a cool guy in the dressing room. He was just one of the guys, just one of the guys. You know, he didn't put on no big ears, you know, big fake big shot deal or nothing. And Christ the Sheik was in World War II. He was in the, you know, he rode around the tank in World War II. He was the real deal for sure. You know, just uh, bottom line, I I like the guy. A lot of people didn't, but whatever. That's them. Mm. So, did that help? Did did that help? No,
1: (laughs) that's that's the kind of stories we like, you know, the the inside stuff you, you don't get from the the back pages of your typical book.
0: Well, that same but, night, that same night, somebody threw a uh, cue ball and hit him right in the rib. That's like the, like, the like from that.
1: a billiard table?
0: Yeah, billiard table, pool ball. Somebody he obviously brought it into the arena, and they hit <laughs> fired it, hit him right in, like, the right side of his rib under his arm. I'll never forget that. He just didn't sell it or nothing. He just Oof. walked back to the dresser. I know that hurt, you know. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: But, oh. Yeah, so... That was the same night he was driving in the White House. So, interesting night. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: in uh, in 71, you wrestled for the WWWF. Uh, it, what it was, I mean, this was around that time. It was a brief stay. Um, but while you were there, you got to wrestle several legends. Stan Stasiak, Carl Gotch. Um, you wrestled yeah. the WWW, WWWF tag champs like Luke Graham and, and Tarzan Taylor.
0: Yeah, um, Tarzan Taylor,
1: at the time you were still working for the chic and from everything we could look, we could see on on your career and, and your time it doesn't looks like you never really went back um although your stay was brief you never came back except for the brief gig in 84 why was that that you never got a chance to work in the northeast again or with them i, I should had, say in the northeast again
0: no you it, and okay i'm going to tell you like i told you i met my wife in the mental hospital right Okay. Right. She was, she, she was in there cause she was a runaway and I get it. She had a terrible upbringing and if I would have been her, I'd have been running away all the time too. So she was young when we got married. I was young and um, she had She hadn't even finished high school yet. So I really, I had an early lad had gotten me booked in New York one time and I just, I couldn't go cause you're on the road so much. I just worried about leaving her and that's what, that's what screwed up my career for the most part. I had a lot of opportunities. I had opportunities. and had a good gig in Calgary for Stu Hart, but she same BS, you know, I just couldn't leave her cuz I just worried about her and then the marriage screwed up anyway and we got divorced, so you know, whatever. At the time I did what I thought I had to do to keep the marriage intact. And and I had a little boy by the time in that point time frame too, so um who I ended up raising cuz she just couldn't take care of business, but I'm just saying that's why I never. Because you were on the road in New York at that time, Christ, you were on the, you were on the road sometimes six, seven t- days in a row, and I just I wouldn't have left her. That's that's why, that's why. I had God, I had uh, I'd say four or five opportunities to go to Amarillo when I was a hippie. We hadn't a chance to go for the funks. I, it, in 19, we were working in Kansas, and Dory Funk came in there, he liked the hippie gimmick, you know. and You know, he wanted to do him and Terry against me and Mike Boyette and, you know, have juice matches and crazy Amarillo matches, and he offered us 500 a week in 73. That would have been a lot of good money. That would have been a lot of money then, yeah. for me. And uh, I just didn't do it because you were never home in Amarillo. I know you were never home there, and I just didn't do it again. So that was another... By the wayside opportunity, and uh, I'll tell you what happened, I, in 75, I was working in L.A., and Butcher Brannigan had just Joe, Joe Nova, I don't remember Joe Nova, he was a New York guy, and he went to L.A. and he became Butcher Brannigan, but anyway, he was working for uh, Stu Hart, and he did pretty good, and he came there, and he goes, they need a baby face, you know, and I've been in L.A. for, got over a year, and uh, he says, give him a call, and I did, and he says, I talked to his wife, uh, Mrs. Hart, I can't think of her first name, what was her name? Right here. What the hell was Mrs. What was her name? Mrs. Hart, Stu Hart's wife. You talk about Helen. Picture. Yeah, Helen Hart. Thank you. And she says, "Well, send pictures." And, and Butcher told us about you. Blah blah blah. I get this call from her. He says, "Call Stu. He wants to talk to you." And they go, "But Butcher told me he said get five hundred American Dick Dicker with him if you got it." And I thought, "Jesus Christ, this is Stu Hart." So I did, and he goes, "God damn it!" All right, 500 American, goddammit, and all that yeah,
1: and in
0: the
2: yeah, world. Yeah, Mickey, you
0: little too there. <laughs> yeah, he would have probably stretched me like a pencil. But so the bottom <laughs> line, I'm I'm booked there. I'm coming in as a baby face in a good spot because one of the top baby faces had just gone damn real. Old. Everything was great, but my son was like four weeks old, all right? We're coming from Los Angeles. I get the U-Haul. You always get the U-Haul. Got the son of a gun packed left our little apartment. we live in the San Fernando Valley. I swear to God, I was a mile from the apartment and not trying to put poop on my wife, God bless her. She passed away four years ago, but she goes, you know, I'm probably not going to stay with you there. And I thought, what? I said, well, I, I didn't really care, but I am thinking, what's going to happen to my son. He was like four weeks old and I'm thinking, well, what the, you know, so I turned around, went back to the apartment. Unpacked. And asked the landlord. Says, "Here's my story." She said "Yeah, just take your apartment back." And I went back working for the LA office, but they thought I was nuts. And I called up Mrs. Hart, and a couple of days later, I I lied. You know, I didn't tell. But in retrospect, if I would have called Mrs. Hart and said, "Hey, here's my situation," I bet she would have said, "Just bring your son, and we'll raise him." And I bet they would have done that because they had like 15 kids then. Yeah, age, it, was, right? it was
2: 12 or 13. What's <laughs> the difference? Right. Counting, right?
0: And I and do you think that sounds right though? If I would have said, Mrs. Hart, here's what happened. Can you help me? I guarantee she would have, with open arms, she would have said, "Come on, bring your boy, and we'll make it work." And I, but I didn't. But I should have, because the marriage, like I said, ended up in the, in the shitter, basically. So.
1: Well, he he ended up up there. Your 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 son would have been a wrestler or married to a wrestler by the time he was 20. So
0: probably, and his name was Brett. I mean, his name's <laughs> Brett Doyle. So there you go. Would have been. <laughs> Well, well, he would have had to have changed that.
1: Cause... Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hell, he would have been... Well, Brett was like a month old. and I don't know. Brett Hart was probably in 75. Well, that would have been 76. Brett Hart was probably just a young kid, too, I'm thinking. I don't I really think know. I think Brett
2: would have been like 16 or 17
0: then. A teenager? Oh, okay. Yeah. He probably was already wrestling then. But, yeah, that's my little story about that. Though so That's a crazy story. That's why New York and the territories where you're on the road, even though... I think you were on the road. You, you were on the road. They had, a, like, a limousine, I was told, that they drive you to the shows in or something or a bus. They had a bus that they drive the, the guys to the shows in, and you were on the road there. But I, at that point in time, 500 American, I, I didn't give a damn. I was going, except for I didn't go, so what can I tell you? That's why I never probably, you know, did some things that I could have, but I didn't. <laughs> Decisions you make in life, so yeah. that's it, so. But I did, yeah, I worked some shows, when, and like, uh, I stayed in the L.A. area for 10 years, and I'd go up and down the coast, I'd work for Shires in San Francisco, then I worked for Don Owens, and I did some yeah, shows for, you know, I stayed in Hawaii for a while, and I did a Japan tour, In that whole 10-year frame, I'd just go back and forth, and finally, around close to 1980, I thought... You know, I, I didn't have health insurance that whole time. I never had health insurance. I'd, when my son was born, I was just out of pocket. All my shit was out of pocket. I said, I got to get a job because she would, you know, I had, I had custody of them and she had gone her own way. And it was just him and I, and I was still taking him to shows and he was, Victor Rivera would be singing songs to him in the back seat of a car and stuff like that. And he'd be in the dressing room and I said, this is not good. So I was fortunate. I was went back to the San. I was in the San Fernando Valley, and I went to this post office in Van Nuys, California, and I talked to a lady there in personnel. And she goes, well, take this book." I told her my whole story. I don't have any skills. Just take this book and study it. They're giving a test for a postal exam. So I took the test and I passed it, and I got a job working on the docks, driving a forklift, and I did that till 19. Uh, when did I retire? I can't even think. 2013. I got a job in, like, 1980 in Burbank, California, working the docks. And then we came back home in Detroit in 1984. My sisters helped me raise my son then for the most part. And, uh, yeah, I was lucky. I got insurance. I did that just to get insurance, you know, and a steady paycheck. Because the wrestling, you know, it's a crapshoot. It was a crapshoot. In L.A., They, I went to L.A. in 75 and I was there for three weeks, and it was great. We had television, we'd do the TV tapes in Hollywood on Hollywood Boulevard the NBC affiliate, and it would be on at 8 o'clock on NBC on Saturday night. And then they lost their TV, and they went right to the Lucha Libra channel, Channel 34, and that was when the promotion just tanked, you know, for the whole time I was there in and out. It was just on wobbly legs the whole time when they lost their English-speaking TV. and Everybody left, the booker left, Louis Tillet was the booker, he left and you know, Chavo came in there and then Roddy Piper came in there in seventy six and they tried to resurrect it with them guys but they still couldn't draw. You know, like when Tolis and um
2: well, I see.
0: Who, Yeah, Tolis Blassie, right, when it was prime time T V and they were it was a hot ticket in town for sure.
2: Mike, but, you, you you mentioned that um, you went from Detroit right to Florida. That's got to be like yeah. night and day. I mean, Detroit was a brawling territory. It was, you know, yep. the, the top star was a literal madman and the chic. And Florida was so <laughs> yeah, much like more. It. Gordon Soley called a wrestling yeah. match like he called the seventh game of the World Series. So, yeah, and, the, you know, quite the contrasting styles. but. You were quoted as saying that Jack Briscoe was very helpful in transitioning to that style in Florida. He's one of those guys that, in my opinion, when you talk about all-time great champions, you don't really hear his name a whole lot. But I think I, I think well, that's an injustice because I thought he was great. And, I mean, he held the championship, I think, for about three years. But yeah, talk a little bit about something. Jack Briscoe. He
0: he was a nice man. I just, I did some road trips with him. And I'll tell you, these are non-wrestling stories, but I remember two times I did road trips with them, and going to the show, I'd be in the back, and I think a guy named Johnny Walker was in the front, and it, both times coming back, there was a Brazier in the back seat. That was something I never forgot. It was just <laughs> funny. There was two different times, two different braziers, But Jack and he, Jack wasn't married or nothing then. and He was, you know, the girls like Jack. Big, strong, good-looking dude and champion. You know, he had the women, but um, he was just fun to watch in the ring. You know, he just... Pinpoint arm drag and just pinpoint nice moves. He was a technician. Yeah, yeah, just a mat. That's what that territory was. Like Eddie Graham was the promoter, and sometimes he'd get in the ring. It was fun to watch him work. Usually at that time, he was just doing, you know, juice matches with Dick Murdoch or something like that. But it's just a fun territory. Yeah, fun. so many good. My favorite, though, my one of my all-time favorite workers was Ronnie Garvin, and he was in the promotion, and I got to work a lot of matches with him because they weren't doing nothing with him, and they weren't doing nothing with me, so we got to work a lot, was which was great. And Garvin told me he never went back to Tampa either after he left there. He never went back, but um, he was. Uh, I loved working with him. That was a blast. He was just so much fun, and he was taking big crazy bumps and. Um, but they had, God, who was there? Bobby Duncan was there, and Ole Anderson, and, like I said, Tim Woods and Johnny Walker. I mean, guys like that were shooters. Walker and like, Tim Woods was a legitimate college wrestler from Michigan State. And, uh, you yeah, know, they had a cast of 1,000 there. They had so many guys that were. And then you could go over there the sportatoriums where we did TV tapes. I think it was on Tuesdays, Tuesday mornings, I think. But you could go over there Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Hero Matsuda would be there. And he'd get in the ring and work with you, which I took advantage of that. I got in the ring and, you know, worked with him and learned as much as I could, which is, you know, that was unbelievable well, ho- that he... Hopefully didn't get your leg broken. <laughs> no, 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 Thinking no. the he, same thing. You know, he actually, and him, I teamed up a few times, and he'd always tell me, kid, you never make it. You never make it. But I think I he was just you. telling me that so I'd work harder, you know, truthfully, because, um, yeah, I, I like Mr. Matsuda. But he was there every friggin' day if you want to get in the ring. He was there, boy, and guys would do it. I mean, you know, the old Duncan would always go there just to try to pick up stuff, and you know, it wasn't like um, just the young guys. Everybody go there just to try to pick up something from him, and you know, they'd have matches in the ring, and just try this, try that, but that was a learning experience for me, a real learning experience, but then I, I don't know. I was there, gosh, I think I think it went there in about September of 71 till maybe late March of 72. And then a guy named Mike Boyer had just left Tampa before I came in there in uh, September of 71. And the booker there was Louis Tillet. And he goes, there's a guy that just left here. To let you guys look like brothers. And so when they finally, you know, my time was up in Tampa, Louis calls Mobile, Lee Fields, the Fields brothers owned the promotion and, so we got a guy out here looks like Mike Boyer, who was going as Mike Boyer. And he goes, they said, well, okay, maybe we could make a tag team, the Hippies. And God, it was unbelievable for like two and a half years. We were like rock and roll stars, baby faces. It was unbelievable. I'd never experienced the notoriety and the, the women. It was just unbelievable, the women that clamored, you know, mothers and daughters. And I still think of that. I think Pensacola was the best time I ever had in the business. That was I was living in Pensacola. A lot of the guys were. Um, but that was unbelievable. He worked every day there, too. I did I did sometimes seven, eight matches on a Saturday. We do th- two TVs wow. and then a house show. And we do like... Well, I do a single in the... like We do Pensacola TV on a Saturday morning, and I'd usually do a single to open it up. Then Hippie and I'd come back in a match... Then we go do Dolphin t v and we do three tapes, and I probably wrestled three times, and I remember so five, six times in a night, maybe seven sometimes we do the house show, I forget what town that was in, but yeah, but that was good. I mean, it was actually good because you get better, the more times you work, get a lot the better of reps. You get. yeah, you get a lot of reps right, and so that that was a I had a lot of matches. I think I had close to four hundred matches that one year, which was wow. great yeah it was it was like maybe in the three eighties so. I thought that was good. Yeah, you get that's that's. Then you pick up stuff from guys, you know. You try to learn stuff. I used to watch Dick Murdoch, even though he was a heel. It was just so fun to watch the way he worked. He was so loose, but he looked like he was knocking your head off. But he just take those crazy wobbly bumps of his, and Jesus, he was good, fun to watch guy. So many guys like that: Harley Race, Garvin, Dick Murdoch. Those are guys I used to really watch, like to watch. And then later, Don Murdoch was always one of my friends. I mean, he's one of my he's my one of my really good friends, but he was always one of the guys I enjoyed watching him. And, you know, a big guy like that taking bumps—that was kind of cool. And uh, yeah, there I go again rambling. But but Tampa was a real learning place. It was a, I was fortunate to go there and kind of learn stuff from Mister Matsuda and so forth. And um, yeah.
2: Mike, I, I just want to change the subject just a little bit, and just an observation because we had one of our, our, at least one of my favorite guests. I think Dan would agree was uh, Mary uh, Freeze, who was the daughter of Pampero Ferpo, mm-hmm.
0: and yeah.
2: he his post wrestling career also was at the post office.
0: That's right. Yep. That's he right. spent San I think Jose. about twenty
2: five years there, and in, in, uh, was yeah. it San Bernardino. I'm not. I, I I can't remember now. San
0: Jose. It was San, San Jose. Jose so yes, correct. Up. We communicated, yeah, actually, later in life, like in the 90s, we communicated, and I told him, you know, we're doing the same thing, because we had the same job, we were called mail handlers, we were both at back, yes. coincidentally enough, and yeah, and then we talked, like, maybe a couple of years up to when he passed away, we would send Christmas cards, and then I never, I kept those cards, I still got those Ferbo cards, <laughs> yeah, just because they're cool to have, you know, but yeah, I know his daughter I was doing this podcast a couple of years ago. Me and Morocco were doing this podcast called Making Waves, and Firpo's daughter was on top. Uh, she was on the show one time, and she was a very pretty woman that I remember too. That, that's
2: an understatement.
0: Yeah, I hope right. I hope she's not listening. Well, no, it's a compliment. She was. A yeah, she really wager. yes. Yeah, knockout. But very nice. Yeah, but very yeah,
2: intelligent. It, very, very well spoken. Like I said, she was one of my favorite guests, and she really yeah. did her father well. Uh, You know,
0: I I liked Furpo. God, I was in Detroit with him. You know, we did a lot of road trips, and uh, he was just the nicest man. But there were some people that didn't like Furpo, and I couldn't understand, why would you not like this man? You know what I mean? I I could never figure that out. Why? When I went to Hawaii, there was people that, a couple guys didn't like Furpo, and I'm thinking, why?
2: Professional jealousy, maybe.
0: Yeah. Why would you not? Because he was so, I remember one time Purple he had this, you know, he had this major surgery on his stomach. And I remember we were doing TV one time, and he's he, and I would been in the business now. I had come back to Detroit in '74 and '75 for a while, and uh, I wasn't I wasn't a jobber no more. I was one of the boys, right? So there was some kids doing tapes, and and Purple was going to work with two guys, you know, beat them both. And he come he goes up to the kids. He goes, my boys, you listen to me if you hit me from here to here, where his big scar was, if you hit me from here to here, I will a die. So they, they didn't know what he was talking about. And I said, he just had this surgery on, you know, a long time ago, but you can't hit him in the stomach. And then they got it. But I'll never forget that. I will a die. It was just comical, comical, the way he would phrase things, you know, the way he talked. It was He was good, boy, that interview with him and kimchi and the, El Garfield and the whole 9 yards right that was good stuff. Yeah.
2: I can't remember the name of his Shrunken Head Dan. You remember it?
0: It was uh, uh Kimshi. He called it Kimshi the Shrunken Head. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I Don't know whatever happened to Kimshi. It would be a, it should be in the Hall of Fame though. Oh I no, of it's
2: it's alive and well and living in San Jose with the family.
0: Well, that's good that's a keepsake that is a big time keepsake kimchi yeah i don't know i don't know if kimchi could talk i don't think so but then maybe it's possible
2: now it's actually chimu is the name chimu
0: oh what was it okay Goki, okay. you're right what did i come up chimu. with kimchi i was thinking
2: Kim, kimchi, kimchi was uh from uh, kamala yeah, yeah kamala's yeah, yeah, handler
0: right yeah chimu. chimu yeah chimu that's it thank you chimu <laughs> nice Way to go with that one, guys. Chimu, Chimu gets yeah. his own
2: place at the uh, dinner table. At, you know, all major holidays.
0: That's good. Yeah, Chimu. That's right. Yeah, and El Garfio was the dreaded claw hold.
2: That's the right. Dreaded, the grip.
0: Yep. El, Gar- the, El, the El Garfio. <laughs> oh God, he was funny. This funny guy, not even trying to be funny. And every time he would take a leak in the toilet, he'd never. He'd always put his hands on his hips, and he goes, "Mickey," he always call me, "Mickey, my boy." He'd go, Mickey, my boy. This is how a man pees. <laughs> <I> thought, okay, <laughs> it's just funny. I got another story. You want to hear a doozy, a sure. humdinger? Okay. So Sheik used to run two towns, and this is this would have been, I think, in early '75. So I was in some Michigan town that night, but the uh, Furpo and Frankie Lane and the mighty uh, Zulu. Remember Zulu? Big yes. huge, yeah. So, you know crazy Zulu. They were in, I think it was Canton, Ohio. And it was a a bad, snowy night. Well, anyway, the next night's Cobo Hall. So I come in the dressing room and and Furpo cried, Mickey, my boy, did you hear what happened to eh? Everything was eh. Eh, Frankie. And I go, no, Furpy, what happened? Zulu snuck up behind him and hit him with a stop sign over his head. And I go, what? And he goes, and then Zulu ran out into the snow with his bag and never to be seen again. And that happened. Frankie Lane was like, He'd be busted his skull open, and Frankie was punchy ever since that. You know they had to put a plate in his head. And uh, now wait a minute, that would have been now that would have been that would have been earlier than that. It would have been like '74 that happened because I remember wrestling Frankie after the fact. But um, yeah, he snuck up. They had some argument coming to the show in Canton over money, trans or something, and Zulu snuck up sign and hit him with a pipe over his head. Furpo told me it was a stop sign. That maybe he was just saying that to make the story funnier, even though it wasn't funny. But hit him over the head, like almost killed him, and uh, nobody ever saw Zulu after that. You like he, he grabbed his bag, he still had his wrestling gear, and ran out in the snow and Canton, whatever. Crazy, eh? Crazy. It only could happen wow. in pro wrestling. Those stories. That's a t- true story. And I remember seeing Frankie finally after a year or two when he came. I was in Cleveland, and he comes in the dressing room, and he was just. You know, he was punchy. He was just, it just punchier than heck, and his, you know, he had a twitch, and I don't know. Frankie was a good worker. Cowboy Frankie, he was a good worker. He worked everywhere. But um, well, a little side note with Furpo telling me the story of, Hey, Mickey, did you hear what happened? You know, just the way he told the story was.
2: That's a pretty good Furpo, actually. Yeah, that is.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I was around him a lot of times, especially when he telling me how a man pisses. You know, that was good. I, a man should pee with your hands on your hips. You don't.
2: Well, every man. It's a good thing you met him. That. You'd be lost without that, that information. I know. Right?
0: You remember. You remember that, guys. It's a good to know that. yes yeah, yeah. I wrote, wrote that down. Lost. Jeez. Thank you. Good, good deal. Well I as soon as he told me, i never forgot it. I didn't even have to write it down. I never forgot it. It was, was always like, with
1: me. Almost fifty years <laughs> later you are still obviously it made an impression. So don't, don't don't let any don't let any of yeah. our fans say that Dan and Benny is not an educational show. No.
0: You're not kidding, guys. We're we're getting We're a one stop shop. We,
2: we we fill every need.
0: We're checking all the boxes tonight, boys. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. Uh but but Trumbo was a character. He was one of the most Charismatic guys I ever remember in the business. He was just uh, whew, very well loved, right?
2: very very respected yeah, and I mean, loved.
0: And he got me. Cripe, He was on the top in Madison Square Garden in the fifties, if I'm not mistaken. He he must have been. He wrestled. Was, I think
2: he his first. He first went to New York in 1960, I think.
0: And okay, he he, he worked a series
2: been? of yeah. He actually worked a series of matches against against Bruno when Bruno was a rookie. And then wow. he came back in seventy two and he wrestled morales for the title.
0: It's pretty but he did quite good, well. Yeah. He always
2: wrestled on top wherever he went.
0: Yeah, he did. I mean Hawaii he was the what was he? was the missing link, the the first missing link before. Yes he Drew was. Robertson.
2: He did he well in the AWA, point. he did well in uh yeah, that's California, right. you, Sheik, you name it.
0: Sheik he was always, you know, semi or main, or in the small towns he was the main and he'd work mains and cobalt against the Sheik. You know, i love yeah, to be, know what his be, I was going to say, I just would love to know what the payoffs would have been back yeah. then for the main events. Because I know Bobo one time, and Bobo Bobo was the nicest man I ever met in the business. Bobo Brazil was the, it didn't matter if you've been in the business two days or 30 years, he'd treat you the same. He was a sweetheart, sweetest man. But I remember one time he told me one of the many main events he worked in, he got 1,200, and he got stiffed. He thought, bullshit. So he went up to Williamson where the Sheik had his his really nice house, and he said he, you know, went inside, and Eddie Jr., you remember Eddie Jr., Sheik's son, Eddie Jr.? Eddie Jr. Farhead, Eddie Farhead Jr., anyway, he would, he made him a booker. He went in his bedroom, and the whole bedroom, the bed was just filled with money, and he goes, you know, you stiffed me. And they gave him some BS story, and then they gave him another grand, so, you know, Bobo had to go fight for his money, his $2,200 payoff, which is a lot of money. Yeah, oh but yeah. I'm just saying that's the only payoff I knew. I never didn't know what anybody else was making when they did main events. I'd always been curious, and, and there's no one to ask anymore because everybody's dead. The only people, but yeah, most most,
2: most everybody is sure.
0: Fred Curry, myself, and Sweet Daddy Seeky. That's the only. Everybody else is dead. The guys that I wrestled with then, yeah, <laughs> dropping like flies, right? Right. Just the way it is. But um, yeah, I would be. I would have loved to known some of them payoffs back then. Cause I never made more than a hundred bucks a Kobo, no matter what the show is, but I'd always get a hundred, which was good. Cause some guys get 25. So, but that's probably cause I was working full time too for him. But sure. At least I made, made you know, a hundred for me back in 1970 was actually pretty good.
2: Not too bad. You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, in that time frame that was pretty good, but yeah, but Bobo was getting his money, but that been Bobo ended up not in a good way at the end either. He, A divorce screwed him up really bad. Louis Martinez, you guys remember Louis Arriba Martinez? Yes, absolutely. The real Arriba, that's the man that created Arriba. I mean, Louis was on top of the world everywhere he went. He did New York, I think he probably did some tag team main events there, I'm sure, back in the day, and he ended up really in a bad way. He had his family in Chicago, and he fell in love with some little gal right from this area that I'm actually speaking to you now. She lived right around here. He fell in love with this little groupy chick and that was man, Louis ended up like poverty literally poverty because back oh, let me think I came back in 84 and then me and Al Costello were tag teaming like the last installation of the kangaroos and we were doing indie shows and actually that was a good gig because they'd fly us to St. Louis we were making some nice money actually on the indie circuit but um, Louie was working then too on these indie shows and it was sad because he didn't even have a gym bag then. He would bring his boots in a in a like a shopping bag, and it was like God darn. And he was living in a gym. He was like somebody had a gymnasium and they let him live in it. They just he fell in love with his little gal, and his family said forget it. And he's such a good guy too. Louis was a good guy too. He he helped me learn some, a lot of stuff. Louis Martinez took me under his wing. More you know, one of the guys that really did. I forgot about Louis. He was a good man and a great worker but god darn just ended up yeah, it's just and that that's, shame. A, that's a,
1: mm-hmm. a lot of
0: guys you know a lot of guys that did happen to because of the way the wrestling business is you're an independent contractor and you know if you want insurance you got to get your own insurance and it's a hard gig actually you know it's a hard yeah no hard well, pay
2: time off in professional wrestling
0: no, no you got to work hurt and like i said no insurance was a a killer actually when my wife got pregnant in california I was probably making three a week, 300 a week. So I got a little job in the morning at a, a Northridge Mall, it was called, which got destroyed in one of the earthquakes. As a janitor, I did that for like six weeks just to pay for the, uh, the baby being born, which it did. But I mean, I actually had to get up at like five in the morning and do that. But I did it because that's what I had to do because... You know, the L.A. wrestling office sure wasn't going to pay for my baby being born. They didn't give it Yeah, time. no
1: no paternity leave either.
0: No, no paternity leave. You know what they actually did? The day that we I had to take her to the hospital, I was booked in Ventura, and I was just taking a little nap. and I was going to get up and go, and she goes, it's time to go. So I, I called the office real quick and said, hey, she's having a baby, blah, blah, blah. They did give me $25 that night, so there you go. They gave me 25 bucks. That was my uh, baby present, I guess, so. There you go. They had a they had a, a heart of some small degree. <laughs> but but Size of a check. A good, well that's That was a good Go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: No, I was going to say that's, that's actually funny cuz you think about how many years ago that was. It's it's 2023 now and that's uh that 25 bucks is is $24.83 yeah. more than the the bonus Benny gets, so Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me.
0: <laughs> nice nice Benny. There you go. <laughs> But that's the funny thing is, that's what a lot of guys on these indie circuits are making now. Twenty five dollars, you know? Still uh, making twenty
1: Still what what is it we always say, the hot dog and a handshake. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah.
0: Well back in the day they'd say you get your three hundred, a six pack and a a favor for one of the girls in the crowd, you know, a, uh, a hum job for the girls the, or something like that. The, yeah. The the uh,
1: the ring the ring rats, right?
0: Yeah, the arena rats. But you know I love the arena rats. They're just there. They were, you know, they were, they are what they are, but they were cool chicks. I used to just like to get in their heads sometimes and just see, you know. <laughs> and a lot of them gals that I talked to, especially like in Bakersfield, there's a lot of girls up from Oklahoma that were arena rats, and they just said, my home life is terrible. I don't have no, my dad's a piece of shit. And, you know, they're just looking for love, and I get it. You know what I mean? They're just looking to be loved, and that's kind of sad if you think about it. And that's, well, a lot of them girls were like that. They are just looking to be loved, and you,
1: you have yeah. got in if, their if heads, and
2: then they return the favor.
1: If
0: they're yeah, I mean, I always had a place in my heart for little groupie girls. I just always did.
1: Well, if there's if there's one thing we know from uh, the stories we've heard from like the Valiant Brothers or. Uh, you know Ricky Morton and and some of the stories him and Robert Gibson tell about the Rock and Roll Express. I know they they always loved the tag teams. I can't imagine the California hippies were were lonely if they uh, didn't want to be.
0: No, it was yeah, it was it was on. I couldn't even believe it. Some of the like I remember working at the arena in Pensacola. It was right on the Gulf. It was beautiful. I remember Valentine's night. We had a show and we used to work that on Sunday nights. And I came out of there. And everybody wanted to kiss, but that night all the girls brought their mothers and i just I was probably twenty two and I remember some of these thirty five year old women just grabbing me and just grinding me. It was like it was unbelievable, and just you know Are y'all going to come back home with us tonight, Mickey and I said, oh, I got a little wife at home that I'm going y'all to, you know, but I mean i always and I always give them a kiss, you know, and what the hell i mean i wasn't I wasn't a cockhound, but i mean i you know whatever i i straight a few times you know i was just overwhelming they would give you gifts too they'd buy you shirts and they they it was crazy the and i you know a story i'm flipping the script okay we're going i was working for Tampa one night. i'll tell you what guy tim woods was we're going to Tampa or um uh, Tallahassee from Tampa and i was they would always ride uh, line the rides up in the office baby face and ride together, heels. So I had a ride that night with Tim Woods and whoever else, Ken Mantell, I think. And we're going up to Tallahassee. And there's a lot of poor people there, and they're lining up to get tickets. And Tim goes, "These fucking people should not be buying tickets." He got out of the car and he bought like three or four people tickets to go to the wrestling matches. He said, "Use this money tonight for food at home. You go to the matches, have fun, but use this money." And I thought, "Wow, what a Tim Woods man! Got a class act. He was a class act." It was just such a cool thing that made me just think, why I thought of that? I never know. But I just, one of those things that stuck with me, like uh, how to pee properly from Furpo. Yeah, know, I do I mean, right. think you remember that. Did you, did you hear the story, Tim Woods? He, I mean, he was a real shooter. And one night, one of the motorcycle gangs challenged, a guy from the motorcycle gang challenged him. And Tim got some kind of a, a cross face or a front, front uh, probably a front headlock. And the guy bit Tim's finger off, but Tim wouldn't let go, even though he knew he was getting his finger bit off. The guy was just freaking. You know, Tim had he was choking, he was killing him with a front face like he could have snapped his neck. And the guy bit his finger off, but he wouldn't let go of the hold. He just choked the guy out and lost his finger. But he, he always had nine fingers. I remember that, Tim Woods. Never forget him. I think he died in the last couple of years, but he was impressive, man.
2: That's uh, Mr. Wrestling, right?
0: Mr. Wrestling 2 or 3 or 4, whatever he he was. was.
2: He was 1, and I believe Johnny Walker was 2.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, Tim was, you're right, yeah, but Tim Woods, that's a guy I never, always respected him, just for the fact of him getting out of the car and buying people tickets and saying, use this for food, you know, that that was something, you know, not too many guys would do that. He was impressive, dude, yeah. Pretty underrated, never really, never really got any, a lot of them guys, like you said, Briscoe, he, Never really has got his dues like he should have over the years from being what he was a real
2: He wasn't flashy in Briscoe, but he was sure was solid.
0: Oh, just pinpoint textbook. Them arm drags were just beautiful. Those matches like him and Dory Funk would have, those were clinics. You know, clinics, just clinics. And you'd, You know, in, in wrestling today, these guys are great athletes. I give them their dues. They are phenomenal athletes and but, God, it's a hole. There's no stories. To me, there's, there's no stories. There's just a lot of, like I was watching the wrestling last night, the WWF, whatever it was I was watching. And, uh, I mean, great moves, but everybody, I was watching the match. Who's the kid? He's really good. Ricochet. And uh, who is he going against? God, I can't remember. But they did, I bet those guys did 25 kicks. Assorted, 25 different kicks to the head, those, you know, the kicks they do the super kicks and then another the deal where they kick or whatever, but they had to be 25 kicks, and it's like, come on guys, you know well, you could do one kick like, like Al Snow used to do a great super kick, I think he was doing it before Shawn Michaels was, and it was a great kick and that just all you do is one kick means more than 10 kicks, you know, one pinpoint kick, then one, two, three you beat the guy, and then it means something, but now those kicks don't they don't. Who was he wrestling? Some big dude that was pretty good. Ah, I doesn't matter. I guess I can't remember. It was, a, you know, it was a good match for what it was, but it was just all kicks and a little bit of selling, and there was no storyline. There was no big comeback. You know what I mean? It's just one, one high spot after another, kind of. Like super kick used to stuff. be. Mm-hmm. I remember
2: Chris Adams in World Class yeah. Champion, the yeah. yep. and he did the super Nobody's yeah. getting up from that.
0: Yeah, right. It was a finish. And, of course, Jake Roberts with the damn uh, DDT DDT, God, same what thing. A, Nobody's, getting Nobody's kicking out of that. What a what a devastating finish that was. Hey, man, it's and like, you go, you go. Yeah. And it doesn't happen anymore. Like I said, I'm not begrudging these guys nothing. They're making money, and they're good athletes. But, um, boy, it's not the same, obviously. It's just a yeah. whole whew, different. There's no sympathy. There's <laughs> no – I remember being a babyface and going, you know, go, Mickey, go, and you feel that. We earned a ring – I mean, you feel that for real, you know. It's real. You're, yep. you're getting pumped, and you're making a comeback for real because of the crowd. It was good stuff, but they don't do that shit anymore, uh, do they? We, I mean,
1: no, nah, I, I don't. Not no, really. not I at mean, all. We we were actually just talking about that last week um, on the other channel. AEW had their pay per view, and they had oh. the big the big form uh, uh, four uh, eight man t- match in the main event. And there was a spot, the the the, uh, the young bucks, famous for doing a hundred super kicks yeah. a match, yeah. where they right. he actually had an exploding shoe, so wow. he kicked the guy in the face, and there was sparks, and it was supposed to be like an explosion. And we were talking about that last week. It's like the super kick used to mean something. I just watched a pay per view where the guy got a bomb assisted super kick. He got kicked in the (laughs) face with a bomb and there was, there was 10 minutes of match left. That wasn't the finish. Like,
0: wow. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, I don't know. I, well, what's your take on old days to new days? What's your honestly feelings of it? I mean, it is what it is and they've trained the people for this type of wrestling. So it doesn't matter. But I mean, do you miss the old days or just a big crazy looking heel against the you know a uh, morocco versus santana you know you got your bad guy your defined bad guy and your defined good guy and
1: i think about it i think about it like i'm i'm a huge nerd so i think about it like in the uh, you know when i when i saw star wars for the first time as a kid and uh-huh. it was just jaw on the floor this is the most amazing thing it was i've ever seen i'm still of you know i watch movies today there is no yeah. doubt whatsoever. The special effects, the 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 technique. Movies today look better, but I'll never have that emotion of seeing it the way I did when it was puppets and models, and you know when it was when it was a more classic. I'll never get the even later on late. Let's say let's say mid to late eighties. You know Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre the Giant at WrestleMania three. Yeah. Like that that is yeah. one of the if not the greatest moment i've ever seen and it, you know i don't care if it's a hundred super kicks power bomb through a flaming table craziness today i take nothing away from their athletic ability but without that emotion it's meaningless and i think that's my biggest problem with wrestling today is that it never it doesn't look like a fight anymore it doesn't look like two guys trying to hurt themselves I yeah. see people you know right. he knocks you, you knock your opponent out of the ring and then he goes and he does you know runs the ropes two or three times and then does a flipping springboard you know he, a scissor hurricane rana craziness off the top it looks impressive but yeah. if, you're, if your mentality is I want to beat this guy what the hell do you gain from doing that move you know nothing, nothing. it doesn't it, it yeah. doesn't look like you're trying to hurt each other
0: No, it doesn't. And like you said, and like I said, these guys are incredible athletes. They do some death-defying moves, but it's just so different. It's not, yeah, you're not trying to beat the guy. You're just doing high spots on the guy. And I miss that. Remember remember the colossal Jimmy Snuka died coming off the cage on Morocco in the Garden? I mean, it's like, my God, that was iconic. That was like, you know, death-defying. And now, yeah not the
2: that's tame now compared to some yeah. of the stuff they're doing
0: yeah it's too bad but yeah, that's how they've programmed the fans and they're still drawing crowds i guess it seems right every Watch time a, new york a, does a big show they draw shit they sell two, out don't they it's amazing
1: you know you'll you'll have a two hour or let's say just a regular a pay-per-view you'll have a three hour show maybe uh-huh. let's say 10 or 11 matches and in yeah. seven of the 10 matches, somebody gets color. Like I, it, it, you'll see two or three matches on free television where people are bleeding and weapons and chairs and barbed wire. And it's like, I, I J- J- snook it goes off the cage today that that would be a, a forgotten footnote on YouTube by the end of the week. You know? <laughs> You're
0: right. It wouldn't mean nothing. Cause I remember Kurt angle doing a moonsault off a of cage one time for impact wrestling. I thought, that was pretty cool, you know, but it, it probably topped Jimmy's move, too. That, But back in the day, that was, like we said, that was uh, unbelievable doing that. And Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's the way it is, just the way it is. And like I said, I don't begrudge these guys because, you know, if they're smart, they can save their money. And 45 years old, not be that crippled up and have a set for life, you know, if they're smart. Yeah. But um yeah i'm still entertained by it but i miss i still like watching the old tapes of like like you said the dick murdoch against a good baby face and stuff like that that's fun to watch still that's just fun to watch stuff
2: mike i watched all-star wrestling from 1975 this weekend so i watched uh the frank monte versus francisco flores Go to a double count that, and then I watch uh, Baron Corso versus Pete Sanchez. So uh, that's that's what I watch.
0: Pete Sanchez. oh Here's a little quick story. I remember one time we were doing a big show in Cleveland for the Pedro Martinez. Of, like that
2: was his hometown, it, this yeah. might
0: have been one of the first like uh, pay per views that you didn't have to pay for, because it was like a six hour marathon that Pedro Martinez set up, right? And he brought in all the guys from New York, Johnny Roz. So, the first match, it was me. It was a guy named Eric the Red and Oscar Verdu, Crusher Verdu against Crusher me Verdun, and Pete yeah. Sanchez. So, we get in the ring, and Pete had just, him and Roz had just driven in from New York, and he goes, Mickey, you're going to have to do all the work. I dropped a tab of acid an hour ago. And he says, I can't. Function and I go what the fuck beat? And I dropped the tab of acid. I said, this could only be in pro wrestling, right? It was just yeah, so funny. I never forget that. Dropped the tab of acid, and he said, you know, so he said the ropes were melting, and he didn't even know how he got to the ring. <laughs> and I said, you walked with me. And he goes, oh yeah, yeah. And I said, when we got to the ring, I said, what the fuck's wrong? He Goes, oh, I dropped the tab of acid. So so I did all the work. It was funny, you know, little side notes like that. Funny stuff you remember from. The adventures of guy dropping a tab and oh my god! But Pete Sanchez, he was a character. One of the boys back the old New York guys, yeah. It's fun. Yeah, I wish I would have worked New York. I wish I would have went there and worked because I could have did my Irish gimmick and probably would have got over. Yeah, I'm sure I would have got over and some to some degree. It was, but.
1: I think I think the the hippies would have been uh, a great heel foil for the New York crowd. Oh, absolutely, the hippies would have been over big time.
0: Yeah, I think so, because like the Valiants, the Valiants, you know, they were, you know, we would have bled like buckets for them, you know, for the baby faces. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think the hippies would oh, did, yeah. did good. And boy, yeah, Mike Boyette could talk. That's one thing. You know, he could work, but he wasn't. I did all the high spots, the, the flying shit, because Mike was a little clumsy, but boy, could he talk. God, was he a great interview. He just terrific interview. That's one thing he had. And that would have really got over on that TV with him talking. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad, but not to be. It's another thing. Every time Hippie and I went well, out, like I said, I didn't want to leave my wife, but he always wanted to go back home too because he had a young, he had two young children, and his wife was a stripper, so he wanted to be, you know, he wanted to always monitor that in his own way. But so we go to like we went to Kansas, and they were gonna give us the belts, and Hippie goes, I got to go back home. I miss Betty. We've we'd been there about five weeks, and then Geigel and O'Connor. And Harley owned the promotion. Then it goes, okay, we're gonna give you guys the belts. Just don't fuck up or nothing. And then Mike goes, hey, I gotta go home. So that was the end of yeah. that. But that's kind of how it was. Either I'd screw it up with Amarillo or he'd screw it up for Kansas. <laughs> Jesus. <Jeez. just>, uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, we, but the hippies in New York—that would have been fun.
1: Absolutely. That would have been
0: a hoot. Yeah. But uh, we, uh, yeah, we
1: we kind of lost the uh, kind of lost the script there at the end. But but that's half the fun. Benny and I have said. When we first started doing this show, I know I've said it a hundred times, we wanted to get away from the 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 inner the old interview mentality and come off more like a couple guys sitting at you know around having a yeah. beer and And I think we, we, we did that tonight. Sure so as we wrap up, uh Benny, final thoughts, final final ideas to you. Well, yeah, uh, you know, we, one of our favorite guests was
2: is is Big Ron Shaw, and the last time Ron was on this show, we we nicknamed him the Earl of Upsets. But you know, I did some research on Irish Mickey Doyle, and he's got a pretty impressive list of uh, victories of his own. I'm going to list a few wrestlers that he has wins over. You got Greg Valentine, Black Bart, Pez Watley, Goliath, Jabaruk, uh, Black Gordman, and Chris Adams. I think that's. Uh, a testimony yeah. to your reputation that you, you, you'd you be put over. Uh, the, I mean, some of these guys are, you know, bona fide legends.
0: Yeah, I, I, I had my moments. And then, you know, I had my moments. But you know who I did work with? I worked with Lou in at a house show in Cleveland, Ohio. And that was a thrill for me. And we went about, we probably went six minutes. You imagine that. I did six minutes with Lou Fez And he was putting me in hold. He was putting me in hold. And then he would put it so I had the hold on him. And I, he just said, just go with my lead. And, I, and he, we'd do a move, and next thing I know, I got a hold on him. I don't know how the fuck he did it, but he did it. And that was cool. <laughs> That's why he's Lutez. So, <laughs> <know>? <laughs> yeah, he was Lutez. But I got to work with Lutez. I can say that. And I worked with Carl Gotch. So that was, you know, I that was a thrill for me, for sure. But, yeah, but he, you guys made my day having me on the show. But we had fun, didn't we? That was yes. a blast. Yeah,
1: this was great. Got to do it again.
0: I enjoyed Abs- yeah, this. Absolutely. Well uh We'll
1: have we'll have Benny reach out to you and bring you back on because there's still so much I mean, we were bouncing around your career. I think we 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 got off topic about what 71, 72. So I mean we still,
0: <laughs> we still another have
2: another twenty three years to go. Yeah, I was
0: gonna say we still yeah. have a couple decades we didn't even get to. Oh, um, I got some funny Rupert Collins stories too. I got some humdingers with the Rupper. Yeah, okay. you got a kick out of that. Yeah. Well that'll be the uh <laughs> that that'll be the tagline for
1: the next show. That's great stuff. Okay.
0: Yeah, the Ripper Oh, brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. This is this. You guys made my day. You made my week. This was a blast. I, you know, I get a little nervous before I go on. I just do is like I get go in the ring. I get butterflies. And I was, but boy, this was this was one of the best times I've ever had doing this. Honestly, this was a blast with you guys. We're
1: glad, glad to hear. Uh, that. Yeah, oh yeah, we appreciate it, and we're glad we could, uh, glad we could contribute.
0: Yeah, thanks, guys. I, uh, yeah, anytime. I'm here.
1: Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, have a great evening. Like I said, we'll have Benny reach out to you uh bring you back on for for another uh, another chat.
0: Okay, guys. Thanks and all the best to you guys, okay? Alrighty. All right,
1: you too, sir. Thank you. Take
0: care. Okay. Good night, guys.
2: Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. <laughs> that was great. Uh, I, I would love to spend a day with that guy and have him tell me some of these stories because Oh my god.
1: You know, I I say we always try and and sound like more guys sitting around the table. Uh, maybe it's best that we weren't actually sitting around a table having a beer because we'd be on pitcher number six right now. From uh, oh yeah, yeah, we
2: we close the place down for sure.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, we we always come into these with you know some some notes and questions. And I th- I want to say it was 72 when we stopped. And like I said, we still got 20 almost 25. Yeah, years we got like career.
2: somewhat into the California hippies, but he had. A huge career after that.
1: Yeah, that was, that was a a small run in Alabama. Like, uh, it's great. He just, he he booked
2: himself into a part two. That's cool.
1: (laughs) It's, it's one of the old fashioned run-ins. He, he came out and now we got to bring him back for the, for the finale. Got
2: to finish the story.
1: Exactly. So always great stuff. And, um, I mean, speaking of great stories, we got a lot of, I mean, a lot of good, good plans coming up. I know we've got, uh. Some, some guests coming uh, coming and going. We're, what, through, I mean, it's June. We've got people planned in, an, a, in and off through October. So. We're
2: almost booked through the end of October, yes, sir.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we've got a lot of good good stuff coming down the pipeline. We've had a lot of good activity on the page. I just wish we could, you know, it seems every week our, our discussion uh, is focused around somebody passing away. I wish yeah. we could have some some good news or some fun here and there. But,
2: you know that's the thing though a lot of these a lot of these gentlemen are, are getting it up into their you know seventies eighties and yeah you know you you want them to stick around forever but the you know the fact of the matter is they're not going to
1: no that's true i mean it's like i said the uh the point in life where it stops it stops giving you the new things and starts taking the old ones away yeah. so
2: we're just happy but, to bring them here so they can tell their stories
1: hey uh, cel- cele- uh the first part of the tagline Benny, celebrating wrestling story past so Yes sir. Always well for the original Long Island Ice Bee. I'm Dan Spash. I'll have a good night everyone and we will see you next time we're in the ring.
2: See you at the matches.